This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Amy Millman. Amy is a passionate advocate for women entrepreneurs, and today is the managing partner of Stage Next, an angel fund. And in 2000, she also founded Springboard Enterprises to accelerate the growth of companies led by women through the access to essential resources in a global community of experts. During her tenure, the portfolio topped 800 companies, creating over 35 billion in value for investors. Um, first, a- Amy, what a, a pleasure and a privilege to have you on our show. Welcome to Leaders and Legend. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me. I know we've we've done this together before in another incarnation, and it was it's always fun uh, to work with you. Thank you. So, Amy, how would you describe your leadership style? How do you approach being a leader in today's world? You know, it's how many books in the world have actually been written about this topic? And and I'm not sure that anybody agrees in any particular way that's the right way. I mean, I was brought up in the hierarchical, you know, there's a person at the top and usually a man and everybody else was basically there, you know, because it, it was his vision and you had to confirm to a conform to a, uh, a certain regimented um, hierarchical look at things. And, and that's how I started. That's how I assumed everything was and, and the boss was right. And that's the way everything worked. And then I got involved with entrepreneurs. I started meeting entrepreneurs and people who were running their own businesses and there wasn't a hierarchical structure. And I realized that that was actually um, something that appealed to me, that a horizontal rather than a vertical approach to things um, was more interesting and created more opportunities for, for you to learn and to hear from others that were working with you. Um, and so when I started Springboard, um, I... I had said that I would have everybody be called an associate. And everybody looked at me and thought, no, that's not going to work. And, and I said, well, everybody is, is very similar. And we all are you know, going to own our own jobs. And so therefore, everybody should have the same title and be equals. And yes, I will have to make a lot of big decisions on the strategy and the vision for the organization, but I want everybody to own their their position and their responsibilities. And um, unfortunately, that didn't last um, more than that 20-minute conversation I have with everybody, because again, people like a title and they like to think that they're working towards another title rather than learning more about themselves. But um, so I, I would say that I'm much more of a horizontal leadership and more interested in working with people, whether they're, you know, new into the marketplace 
uh, just graduated from college or have been, uh, you know, CEOs or running companies, uh, you know, whether they're my board members, um, all on the same level playing field. Can you know, you've met so many different types of leaders and the type of role that you play um, as a VC. Can you define, you know, uh, or can you talk about where you see uh, different kind of traits that you see are possessed in, in certain types of leaders that are successful in your industry? You know, I can look very, very specifically at the entrepreneurs, you know, the oh, 800 plus entrepreneurs that I've worked with over the last 20 something years. And, and the leadership qualities that they embody are about um, that real focus on, on the culture of the team and, and hiring the right people and, and working together to accomplish a goal. Uh, and problem solving together. And so that um, rather than sort of, you know, leading by your own, you know, you're the, you're the person uh, up at the top. And, and so the entrepreneurs that I've met, and, and actually, in the last year, I left my, the organization that I founded Springboard, and started um, writing this book, uh, where I talked with about a hundred or so of the women entrepreneurs that I'd known over these 20 years and asked them um, what they learned from the process of building these companies. Many of them are serial entrepreneurs. And they said the most important aspect of it is to have an impact and to have the right team around you that is in sync, is aligned with uh, the vision that is set out and uh, it, it, it's collaborative. And it, again, uh, and it was one of those things where I, it just resonated so much with me. And I realized that maybe by being a creator and an innovator, you automatically embody uh, that leadership style uh, that appeals so much to me. Now you worked um, pretty much focused on women who are starting businesses. Do you think that a woman's style is different than men? Um, you brought up collaborative and I find that, um, you know, everybody, mileage varies, of course, but I find women uh, to have a style that is much more collaborative than maybe their male counterparts. I think that is a natural inclination for a lot of women, not all women, but, uh, uh, but that collaboration that, that need to, to, to get that support, to see that connection with others and, and to sort of feed off them. Now, again, I've met a lot of women who uh, are very, very successful in a much more hierarchical, you know, traditional kind of leader uh, approach to things. But uh, I, I found that, that there's, there's this really interesting um, approach that the entrepreneurs have had, and again, I've worked almost solely with women entrepreneurs. Uh, that was our market. And um, and so I wanted to learn from them. Maybe a lot of them didn't have bad habits from actually, you know, uh, uh, working in more traditional 
hierarchical organizations. So they built their own uh, uh, styles based on, you know, their own personal interests or experiences. And, um, and, you know, and I, I think that what you see now is people gravitating towards that, that sort of agile approach to, um, to running companies and, and sort of looking at, um, at organizations in a completely different way. And I think that I like to think that women, uh, women's styles or what they brought to the table, team engagement on all of this is something that appeals to a larger group of, of companies, not just entrepreneurs. Tell us a little bit about venture funding and being a leader in this very tough world. I mean, uh, 20 years ago, uh, there weren't very many women uh, actually pushing uh, venture funding out there. So how did you how did you get into this, and and what is it like being a leader like yourself with such an incredible um, success uh, in accomplishments in your career? Well, I, I can honestly say that I think the thing about me is that I'm incredibly curious. So you know, take it back over 20 years, maybe 23, 24 years. Um, I was running the uh, Federal Government Commission, the National Women's Business Council, still uh, in business today, uh, set up uh, by Congress in the 80s. Uh, and I had taken that position at the beginning of the Clinton administration uh, and stayed there uh, for the eight years, uh, of which I learned an incredible amount. Um, and, and one of the, the the mission of that organization was to develop uh, bold initiatives that would support women entrepreneurs and access to capital was one of them. Uh, and so with the support of the Federal Reserve, we were doing these workshops around the country uh, from all aspects of, of uh, access to capital for small, business, small businesses. And, and we were in uh, the last event was in California in Silicon Valley. Now this was 1997. And um, I'll be honest with you, I knew nothing about entrepreneurship or venture capital at all. Um, if you said equity, I figured that was the stock market. And so we were having this, this gathering of these entrepreneurs, and these were early stage e-commerce dot-com companies. And we had pulled together a group of bankers and we were having the, we were talking about how do we create these synergies or alignment and and get more funding to women entrepreneurs and there was absolutely crickets in the room i mean it was just it, it was a bad pairing at the time and that's a nice way to put it and at the end of this the entrepreneurs you know came up to me and said that was a real waste of time because those bankers will never invest in us and and I said, well, how do you get your money? And they said, through venture capital. And I, I had to go and do my homework and figure out what that meant. So we talked to a bunch of people out in Silicon Valley and back in Washington, D.C., where I'm located, and in Boston and New York and Chicago. And, and they said, well, we don't see any women entrepreneurs. And if we did, you know, we would fund them. And I said, well... Then, you know, a bold initiative that the National Women's Business Council can do is to introduce you to some of these women that could use your funding. 
And that's how it started. And um, frankly, it, it was, it's been an education in a completely different language uh, and approach to things that has really excited me in, in building those relationships between people who have the funds to support really important issues and products and services that are going to change our lives uh, and potentially the world. I'm speaking with Amy Millman, Managing Partner of Stage Next. After the break, we'll talk a little bit about Springboard and getting funding in the venture capital world today. You're listening to Leaders in Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders in Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Amy Millman, Managing Partner, Stage Next. So, Amy, let's talk about this incredible organization you started called Springboard to help these women, uh, you know, build businesses. And 20 years ago, that was just not really heard of. Today, there's plenty of venture capitals that are looking at different uh, segments of the population. But this was something different then. Tell me about it. Well, it was different for me. Uh, You know, I, again, I, I thought any equity funding was way out of the range of, of interest for most people. And actually, it was kind of interesting. I had been a lobbyist for many years for a large corporation and had a, a group of very um, influential women who we all had grown up in, in Washington, in, the, in, in Capitol Hill and, and the administration. And at one point, a friend of ours um, became a the deputy secretary at the Department of Defense, and we had this big luncheon, and uh, just you know the 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 girls, just twenty of us, you know, had grown up together, and um, and I and they said, Amy, what are you going to be doing now? And I said, Well, I'm going to take on this whole idea of of equity investments for women, and everybody there said. You know, it, it, we never get into those early deals before they're public. And so, you know, we don't pay any attention to that. Our investments are all in mutual funds and stock market and things like that. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I guess I have to understand what that whole process really is um, as I launch this uh, company because of the the need of of entrepreneurs that are, you know, not part of the part of the network. Uh, And so that was really the whole uh, beginning of it is what is this process really like? How is it different from how other businesses get funded in the earliest stages of the ideation? And um, and it was so interesting uh, talking to all the people that had any information about this. Uh, and uh, one of the biggest supporters of this uh, whole process was the Kaufman Foundation out of uh, Kansas City, probably at the time the only uh, uh, foundation that was focusing on entrepreneurship. And I had developed a relationship with them over time, and they had determined that uh, if you invest in uh in women entrepreneurs, you'll see a, a significant impact on economies of the world. Uh, and the more engaged that you get women in the workforce and 
starting businesses, uh, you can actually track um, the change in uh, economic conditions in countries. And so uh, with their support, uh, we were launched. So I'd like to double click on that. The economies of the world and the race to be best in tech. Um, you know, I, I, do you feel that this is important for our national security for, for our standing in the world to invest and encourage these, you know, people with these great new ideas so that our country maintains its strength? Well, I'm a little biased. Um you know, and I guess that happens when you spend so much of your time focused around entrepreneurs who are big dreamers and with incredible capabilities to solve problems that um, so many of us face, either in healthcare or security or even just our general, you know, going about our business of our lives. Um, and I've seen it in 20 years, grow so exponentially um, throughout the world as as at Springboard, we did programs everywhere and have and on, had entrepreneurs um, approach us to be involved in in the whole you know incubation process that we were about and the connections um, to others who could help them. I mean, I think that was the secret sauce of Springboard was, the reliance on, on, on a very large network of experts from all over who were relevant to that business's stage um, and could help them take the next step. I've read so many articles and it's getting better over, over the 20 year, plus years that you and I have been in the industry, but you know, women are not getting the funding at the same rates as men and women aren't entering uh, tech at the same rates as men for our, for us to be able to keep up um, with the amount of people in tech that we need to, to maintain the, you know, that kind of competitive advantage. Um, what do you think we should be doing to, to help move this along faster? You know, you think that after, you know, 20, 30 years of, talking about access to capital to women and women entrepreneurs and women business owners that, you know, we'd have solved this issue. Um, but it's a very long process of changing behavior and, and focus. So if you look at, you know, how bankers um, find their, their clients, you know, they, they, you fit a certain mold. And if you don't fit that mold, you know, you can't get that funding. And investors, it was the same way. Um, you know, there was a certain interest and inclination of people investing in people who were like them. And so the original investors were people, like if you look at Silicon Valley, they came out of engineering. And we didn't see a whole lot of women in engineering in those days. I mean, I went to Carnegie Mellon you know, back in the 70s, and there was one woman in, you know, each of the engineering departments, and she was an, an anomaly, you know, it was, you know, we almost made fun of her until, of course, later on in life, where she was making a lot more money than the rest of us. But, but it, but the, if you think about that, you know, the development of women in STEM, and, and the emergence of women in the financial world, where they were actually, hired into positions of influence and decision-making 
um, changed people's familiarity with women as, you know, an, an opportunity. Now, will I say that we've solved that issue and that problem? I think some of it also has to do with, you know, women women's orientation on what they like to talk about and how they like to pitch their business opportunities. And, um, you know, I remember in the early days, we said, we need to teach you all how to speak investor. And, and what we meant was, you know, you're going to probably be speaking in front of men. So you should probably speak in a way that they, it resonates with them. But these days people are so much more open to the people sitting across the table for them. And as long as you are authentic and you're talking about, you know, uh, things in terms of financing, you know, the financial upside to the investor of that opportunity, um, you know, it, it seems to be so much more easy to, um, to, uh, to get in the door with investors and then get them interested in what you're doing. So you're talking about a mindset or, or a style um, that m- kind of makes a successful founder, a, a, a gut of confidence. Um, how, how do you find that in your companies that you invest? I mean, that's got to be a pretty big factor in deciding if you want to invest in a company or not is if, if uh, the founder has a, um, what I think some people might call it as an imposter syndrome or not have the confidence and gut, um, how, how do you identify that and how do you help grow that over time in the founders you do work with? You know, people always used to say to me, how do I, how did we pick the women that we selected for our cohorts at Springboard? And I'd say, um, I, I just knew it when they walked in the room. I knew it when they began to speak. I knew, you know, there we are. If we had already looked at their resumes, you understood that a lot of them were uh, were so qualified or sometimes overqualified to be doing what they were doing. But but we, you know, we had a, a certain kind of confidence in them in the beginning. But when they walked in and you realized that they, um, there was just something about their ability. Um, to execute that you just knew. Uh, and and I, I'm not sure that I could really put my finger or explain that or give a formula for what that was. You know, there were many times where, you know, I'd look at my, you know, the people that I'd asked to come in to, to interview with me and we would all know it immediately. You could just see that this was somebody that we were going to follow, that we were going to support. And, and, over the years, um, I, I, especially those women who have become serial entrepreneurs, they're just so compelling in the way they think about um, their, these opportunities. Uh, and and uh, it's just, it's such, you know, it's, I guess it, it must be like a, as if you're a kindergarten teacher and you're, um, uh, and you see somebody who's graduated college that you had in your class and that incredible, you know, and you knew that that person, even at five years old, was going to be successful. And then it was borne out um, later on. Um, I, I, that's how I feel about a lot of these entrepreneurs. And now 
even the ones that I didn't work with those 20 years, um, I, I can see there's just something about the way they approach their problems and their opportunities that um, you just you just know that they're going to be the ones that you want to follow and invest in. So you talked about um, competence. You talked about confidence. Very important pairing. Mm-hmm. But there's the third C, which is culture. Do you find that your most successful um, you know, investments are led by people who understand the influence of leadership has to have on culture, both within their own organization and adopting hot new technologies? Um, you know, the women that I work with, yes. Um, as a matter of fact, I had a call the other day with one of the entrepreneurs um, who has built several medical devices and sold them successfully to larger enterprises. And I asked her about this current one where they are uh, entertaining um, an acquisition uh, by a larger company. And I said, so Jen, what's the next? And she said, you know, I'll tell you, there's a a fellow that I hired some years ago uh, in my previous company that came to this new company and he he never thought of himself as a potential CEO candidate, but I know he can. I know that's in him. And my next uh, venture is going to be to put him in that CEO position and be there to support him and, and nurture that, uh, uh, that leadership style that he could bring, you know, bring forth with this company that will be his and it was one of those moments that I just thought, you know, that's what it's all about, really. That's what all of this is about. You know, once you've had successes or, you know, participated in this process, I don't care whether you're in the corporate world or whatever, it's not just about you. It's really about, you know, the impact that you've had either on others or through your product or service. And, um, I'm not sure what else is more important. I'm speaking with Amy Millman, managing partner, Stage Next. After the break, we'll continue to talk about culture and the adoption of technology. You've been listening to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Amy Millman, managing partner, Stage Next. Now, Amy. You've had such an incredible career. Um, can you describe your career path? Yeah, you know, uh, um, you know, I always start with um, the fact that I, um, when I was when I was planning to go to college, you know, every I, I was brought up in New York, and everybody, you know, on Long Island, you know, they all wanted to go to a state school in New York or somewhere in that regard. And so I decided I would do something completely different. And, um, and, and so I applied to a school that I absolutely had no understanding or interest. I I mean, I I didn't even know what I was getting myself into. And it was Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. And uh, I, uh, and when I got there, I realized that the whole approach for that school was completely different. Um, from anything that I had ever known. And and what I had done was I had signed in as a, uh, as a 
as my major would be something they called social relations. And I thought, perfect for me. Um, you know, that's what I was all about. It was all my, I was a big social person in high school. This would be great. Well, it wasn't social relations in that way. It was game theory and economics and, and um, understanding, you know, what makes uh, economies work and, and, and how do you analyze, you know, uh, what people, uh, people's decision-making. And I thought, oh my, you know, this is a whole nother world for me, but I immersed myself in it and realized, you know, it again, it's about data, it's about relationships. And so when I graduated college, I came to Washington. Um, I had actually done an internship for a semester, um, uh, the Washington semester program um, while I was in college. And so was anxious to get back to DC and, um, and got a job at Congressional Quarterly where I was using my my computer and and data analytics skills honed during my college career to look at voting behavior and relationships between how people voted and all of that. Anyway, fast forward, um, all of those skills are things that are really important now in entrepreneurship. And so from from that congressional quarterly experience of analyzing voting behavior and knowing all of the members of Congress and, uh, you know, by knowing what their voting records were, um, that was appealing to people um, uh, who hired me to be a lobbyist because I knew something more deeply about these members of Congress than, you know, just meeting them or reading what they offered was. So, it, you know, again, that beginning honing of, of curiosity about the information, the relationships, how important connections and networks and relationships are, um, uh, and which then sort of propelled me into a position of uh, which is the development chapters until where I am today, which is, again, all about relational rather than transactional. That's really the crux of my approach to all of this. So relational, you, you, your first part of your statement talks a lot about the relationship of data, the relationship of facts um, that lead you to it. But there's... Um, Something else, and, and as your focus and your time horizon has changed in your career, you become more senior. There's a different type of networking that becomes even more important. Networking with people, you're, I, I, you know, I've heard you've heard many people say your net worth is your network. Do you think that's important? I, I think it's absolutely critical at every juncture. I mean, you're always expanding and improving and maintaining your networks. You know, some people say, well, you know, that was people that I knew then, you know, and people say about advisory groups or advisory councils. Well, you know, it's not the same people, you know, at the beginning of your company that you want as advisors later on. I believe that all of those people that you come into contact with have some kind of value to the development of, you know, your career as well as what you give to them. And, and so th that's really what drove me 
through every every juncture, every part of my um, of my career until now with uh, my new fund, it's all invested in by all those women that we've supported through their enterprises who are now investing in the next group of entrepreneurs. Um, and that's pretty exciting for me. So tell us about this new fund, Stage Next. So, it, you know, in, and Stage Next is such a perfect um, way to describe them. These are, um, our, our idea was to support entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs, leading companies that were either in life science or healthcare or enterprise development um, that had, were having a definable impact on, on either the sector or people's lives or um, uh, uh, the way we do business. Um, and these are the kinds of women and companies that I, I work with for about 20 years. So the idea would be that we built this network of entrepreneurs who now know how to build these companies, have been successful uh, in, in many ways, and are experts in certain aspects of business development or in domain expertise. And so let's pull them together, this network that we built, and see if we can support uh, either their next venture or, um, or uh, and, and actually bring together this expertise to support other entrepreneurs, which is probably the most important aspect of this. How do we keep that network together to support using their expertise to support others? Um, and that's a little different then you actually see your basic venture capital opportunity. Theirs is basically what the upside is at the end of the road when the exit of those companies, when they go public or are purchased, how is that going to um, accrue to the benefit of the partners of that fund? For us, it was, yes, there's a financial benefit we're looking for, but we're also looking to really support those entrepreneurs with this network of experts. You know, with this crazy economic times and, and uh, all the talk of a potential recession, when it comes to leaders as startups, the biggest challenge actually is knowing when or having the network to help you um, decide when to exit. Tell us about this very important time as a leader at a startup and how you help mentor people through that discovery phase of when to exit. You know, everybody's always looking at the exit because, again, most of the most of the investors who they talk with are only concerned with when that exit happens and what will it look like. And I've had this this sort of epiphany fairly recently in conversation with a serial entrepreneur that I've known for fifteen or so years, and she said to me, "You know, when investors would ask me that question." You know, what's my exit strategy or what's my plan or um, and and, you know, for when when will they receive their, you know, their their the money that they're expecting? 
to get out of this deal, um, which is usually somewhere between two to 10 times what they, you know, what they put into it. And she said, I told them that the market would dictate that. But what I needed to know was what, if they were aligned with my plan for execution. And I know that's a little off the, the question that you asked, but it's, but it's, it's one of those, those issues that all of a sudden makes you realize that you didn't start the business just to make the investors happy. You started the business to have an impact or to do, to solve a problem that you saw that you could fix. And to focus on that was incredibly important. And so at some point in the process of running Springboard and building that program, it was it became very, very clear to me that this was all about building businesses. This was all about not the upside later on, but the impact that you're, you running a business is going to have. And, and whatever that impact is or whatever that goal is, was important to keep in your mind and get the alignment of the people around you. And I don't think that's any different from anything else we run in our lives, whether it's bringing up children or, you know, working for the government or, you know, it's the greater good. Um, You know, there's something bigger than all of us in this process and networking and maintaining those relationships and, and being true to uh, the goals and the dreams and the vision and the mission that you're setting out for is probably paramount. And we lose that every once in a while. Um, and my goal is to mean is to help entrepreneurs keep that, you know, focus um, by supporting them in their, uh, uh, their execution plan, their goals and their dreams. I'm speaking with Amy Millman, Managing Partner, Stage Next. After the break, uh, Amy will share with us the advice for the next generation of leaders. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. And today I'm talking with Amy Millman, Managing Partner, Stage Next. Amy, you know, uh, what tech areas do you see being the hottest areas in the next several years? If you were a listener out there wanting to start a company, what advice would you have? There's this whole blue ocean of opportunities out there. You'd think that, that, you know, all of this has been addressed before. um, And, but yet there's so many things that could improve our lives and, um, I've been focusing a lot on the healthcare system, and I'm very, very taken with two areas that I think have uh, have incredible unmet needs. And uh, one of them is this whole idea of of people um, owning their own healthcare rather than letting others sort of dictate how you know, their health care or their situation or what's available to them. You know, the system that we built over the last 50 years is really um, takes it out of the hands, takes health care out of the hands of the actual patient. And, and what we've been trying to get to is a much more patient-centric um, approach to health care where you really are aware of everything 
um, that that is involved with you, um, and you can dictate um, uh, how you get the health care that you need uh, because you're knowledgeable about it. And we started out with with things like uh, uh, Ancestry.com and 23andMe and a host of other ways of being informed about, you know, the, your history and your, you know, where some of these issues that you're feeling um, without actually going to a stranger practitioner and getting and having them give you an answer. And so in general, it's patient-centric um, healthcare, bringing it back to the, so that patients, that people own their access to their healthcare and understand that. And the second thing for me, it's about women's health. Um, I think it's an area that um, has been ignored um, for the most part for centuries. And, um, you know, we did clinical trials just on men um, and hopefully that that, uh, you know, the drugs that we came out of that applied to women and we found that was not the case. And uh, it's taken a long time to change a system to train people in the fact that men and women's physiology is very, very different and we react different and we experience different things. And so I feel that those are the major areas um, and you know, yes, there's energy and the environment and uh, and security and financial uh, democracy and all of these things are so much in one's life. But honestly, um, I think those are the areas patient-centric healthcare, which also applies to the fact that that you know we're in personalized medicine where we can actually now have the technology that will tell you personally, you know, what kind of regimen and what kind of lifestyle that you should run based on uh, what we know about your genomics and your proteomics. And um, I, I just think that that is, if I were going to start a company right now, that's where I would start. And those are the kinds of things that I'm investing in now. So basically you're talking about AI. It's the ability to be able to take all this information, pull it together and present a path. You know, it's, so, a, combina it's a combination. It's what you know about yourself plus an AI overlay that provides even more layers of information that supports um, what, you know, that what people actually know and not just, you know, I, I, my cousin went to get surgery the other day and her, she was asking the surgeon a whole host of questions. And he said to her, um, you know, this is not an interview. This is not a question and answer situation. Um, I'm going to do this. And, um, and, you know, that's all there is to say. And she walked out and said, that's not the way I want my health care to be delivered. And, so in this case, how can she be the one to really own information? Yes, through AI, through information that now she owns about her health care throughout her life. And I think we are in a position now to be able to produce that kind of information for patients. But I also understand that 
we have been trained so much to depend on others that it's going to take a while to train people um, and and educate them into the importance of them owning their own healthcare solutions. Or just being ready to be empowered that way. What do you think will be the biggest challenge for startup tech leaders in the next few years? I mean, you, you just bring up so many good subjects, so many great opportunities, and also some challenges. Well, there are a lot of challenges. You know, it, 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 you hear people talk these days about, you know, the it's very hard for new companies to raise money if they don't have a track record already or have raised money before for other companies successfully. But I, I mean, you and I have been around when in 2000, 2001, when, you know, it was very, very difficult for entrepreneurs to raise money or in 2008, 2009, you know, when the market crashed again and, um, and yet entrepreneurs still had opportunities in those days. And it's always a good time where uh, to, to start a company in a downturn um, to solve a problem that you see that nobody else is taking on. Uh, and I, there's not a day that goes by that I don't get calls from people who were referred to me who have a new idea or a new thought based on experience that they've had, um, that they know that it's not being handled uh, at all, or it's not, uh, or not doing well, that the solutions that are out there are not really solving the problem. So I'm bullish about the opportunities, regardless of what the market is looking like, uh, you know, the, 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 the financial markets are looking like there's a lot of money out there looking for good opportunities and patience is a virtue. So do you have a favorite book about leadership? I don't actually. I, um, there are so many out there. Um, uh, my friend Betsy Myers used to run the Center for Creative Leadership, uh, or, or public leadership rather up at, uh, Harvard and Warren Bennis is probably one of the, the people in the world that has talked mostly about, about leadership and styles, um, that I admire. And, but, um, I will tell you that the, the most impactful, um, document that I, uh, that I recall about really understanding leadership came from a uh, a survey that um, I did when I was at Springboard with uh, Corn Ferry. And we analyzed uh, 200 of our women entrepreneurs um, and their leadership styles according to two or three different categories uh, as compared with about 150,000 of their CEO candidates over time. And what it came out with was this shocking response, although it wasn't surprising to me, it was to them, that the women entrepreneurs' responses were way above the, the, the score on, um, on issues like agility and comfort with creativity and, uh, and even emotional intelligence. Um, uh, and it's not that you really want a large corporation to hire uh, or a government agency to hire entrepreneurs necessarily to lead them, but it 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 started us thinking about you know what kind of leadership will it take in an entrepreneurial economy 
to really grow things. And, and those qualities are what, you know, 21st century entrepreneurs really need, or, or even leaders need to embrace that understanding that, that the market moves really quickly, that the uh, um, changes in the way people think about employment um, and, um, and the way you handle and, and are problem solvers, uh, not just people who manage other people, but people who have bigger visions and an ability to engage enough of the right people around them um, to, uh, to accomplish great things. So what advice would you like to have known when you were 21 and just starting off? Any pearls of wisdom you would have for that next generation? Surround yourself with people um, who you admire and um, who are truth tellers. Um, I always tell all of uh, the students that I, that I, know now that I'm an entrepreneur residence at both Georgetown and Yale, it's the first thing I tell them, develop your own personal advisory board um, and constantly be replenishing that over time. These are people who you can go to, to pose questions and and deal with challenges that you have or uh, blind spots um, that you might have. And um I think it's probably the most important thing. And I've in in all the major CEOs that I've ever known and worked with always had their own personal advisory boards all the time. Uh, you know, I remember it uh, when I worked for Philip Morris back in uh, the ancient times, um, the CEO had a group of uh, public affairs, lawyers, accountants, bankers who would meet with him regularly just to talk about, you know, all kinds of things that he was dealing with or approaching and getting their input. Um, and I, I try to do that with myself uh, even now. Amy, I'd like to thank you for being a guest today on Leaders and Legend and sharing some seriously important information and pearls of wisdom. Well, thank you for inviting me uh, anytime. This has been a lot of fun. You've been listening to Leaders and Legend on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Elaine Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.